seriously, I was exposed to all of these insecurities at such a young age and wanting validation. It was basically a slow pattern and acceleration of why I'm a sex and love addict. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at icloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Are those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain freaking embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Cheryl. Cheryl, what is your secret? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, God, I've got, maybe I've got a few secrets, but the one that I think I would love to admit and no longer be a secret is, okay, first of all, it's been, it's because of you coming onto our podcast, Pretty Messed Up, a few weeks ago, and me really sitting back and um, observing my thoughts and thinking, you know what, I believe that, you know, I am a sex and love addict, especially after, like, when I stopped drinking, and I've been sober for almost two and a half years, I, I think that that love, I think more love, right, is my addiction. Love is addicting for me. You know, it's like that feeling of um, highs and lows. And almost back in my past previous relationships, I remember starting like fights and wanting to have the makeup sex and wanting to have that makeup, like just that feeling of like up and down, like I think I'm an adrenaline junkie, you know, so because I'm such an introvert at heart that like anything just to be able to crawl out of my skin, you know? Oh, Perfectly said. I mean, that high of falling in love and then creating drama to get that intensity hit, right? That's what it is. Yeah, it's like absolutely. that jolt, that jolt to like shock us. And it's like worth living for that jolt. Yeah. And it's scary because um, I'm no longer about like starting fights as much, but I recognize now that I can um, put words to it, but I recognize the feeling, that feeling in your stomach, right? That it just makes you nauseous. And I've always said, you know, like breakup is a best diet and it's just so unhealthy. It's like just that feeling of going back together, breaking up, coming back together. I was always in a relationship. I never stopped being in a relationship. Oh, me too. Except me too. I wasn't single yeah. for, I think six months was the longest I was single. Oh, wow. Yeah, same. I think around six to eight months right before I got married um, and re basically re-engaged our engagement. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> we've done this before, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, um, it's okay. Cause I thought I was living this on my own. I thought I was really weird. I thought I was alone. Um, I didn't know what to say. I was like a sex and love addict. No one ever brought it to my attention. And I just came to, I guess, peace with the fact that just three years ago, two and a half years ago, I admitted that I'm an addict, you know, in general. So that is just a lot. Yeah. I just had a question pop in my head. Do you think being a dancer at such a young age, could you told when we were talking, you started dancing how young were you? Four. Do you think because as a woman, you had to like do all that sexuality with dancing at such a young age that that affected this love addiction? I actually just thought of that. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely on the right track. Well, let me just rewind a little bit. So my mom and dad divorced when I was two. And my very first memory is of him being with another woman, <gasps> like literally having sex with another woman at two years old. Wow. I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, and I asked my friends and even my husband, like, what's your first memory as a kid? And it's, oh, just happy thoughts, you know? And I'm like, wow, mine's very dark. And I see here to this day, it, it was his secretary. And I didn't know that my mom and dad were separated, but I remember wanting to literally turn the channel to a different channel. And I couldn't do it. And I was watching Sesame Street in his brown leather chair. Like I remember it as if it was yesterday. And I was like trying to get his attention. And there was a crack through his door. And he was full on. The woman was naked. She had long black hair, Filipino woman. He had a type. And they were just going at it. And I was like, that was my very first memory. It was so traumatizing. And then after that, I didn't have a father figure until my mom started dating my stepdad now. Um, and with him came his kid and his daughter, who's my step older stepsister and this babysitter that would basically watch over her. And he was the man that sexually molested me. Mm. Um, and what then, age were you, you know, at? changes every time my timeline sucks but it's like no that's the thing when there's trauma your timeline sucks because for me I couldn't remember my book will say one age and my publicist is like Cheryl why do you keep switching your age because I didn't even remember when my molestation happened I was like I think I was five like you just your brain my therapist told me your brain literally when you block out trauma, it blocks out, doesn't just pick trauma. It picks everything. You block out the good and the bad. No, I know. And I'm really good at it. (laughs) And I just have to catch myself to this day because it almost is, you know, being able to write a book about it and being able to do press for the first time alone. Cause on dancing with the stars, we always do press with our celebrities Yeah, and you know, never did I have my own voice until like I was on Ellen talking about it and Pierce Morgan and all of these big talk shows. And I just remember feeling like I was being testified again. Right. And just testifying against my molester. But then this time it was just talking about the experience and I don't, it was the best therapeutic, but scariest moment of my life. Yeah. Right. Um, because I, there's a part of me that was still thinking not any longer, but that was still thinking back when I wrote the book about eight years ago, I was like, did I want this to happen? Did I like, there's a part of me that was still blaming myself for it. And the whole point of me telling this story is because like my pattern of men, that's when it all started as far as whether it be the dance world, right? The ballroom dance world. I don't recommend it to any kids, (laughs) just kidding. Um, But I don't because especially women, it's just, I don't think I would ever, if we ever have kids, I don't do not. I, I just so toxic, yeah. but it's also so rewarding. It's like, you have to grow up so fast. I'm like, if you look on like my YouTube channel or Instagram, you'll see me post like throwbacks or videos talking about it. But even my husband the other night was like, you're 11 in this video. You look like yeah, you're, you're 25. Like all made up and all like in skimpy and outfit. Skimpy. But yep. it's what society puts on women. Like you have to look like that to dance. Just like if you're a model, you have to look like that and wear that and be that 
naked at such a young age that had to affect that trauma, it seems like it just amplified it. It, it did. I, absolutely. And it, with everything, I can just see the pattern now that you say that, like my Filipino nanny, not, she didn't, not that one that sexually molested me, but the other one that basically was there with me from the day I was born, but she um, didn't speak English. And I remember her watching Pretty Woman a lot. So I was exposed to Seriously, I was exposed to all of these insecurities at such a young age and wanting validation. I think I've watched Pretty Woman, the only movie. The white guy to come rescue you or the person to come like sweep you off your feet and make it like your Richard Gere. Like that's so inappropriate for you. And I am a prostitute. Yeah. And like, and then it's so weird how everything relates to my father owned strip clubs in Thailand. And like, you know, he's, he passed away a couple years ago, but like, it's just funny how it wasn't, it was basically a slow pattern and acceleration of why I'm a sex and love addict. Wow. And how did that love addiction, how did that with men, how did that grow? How did it fester? Because it's a progressive disease, you know, it's a brain disease, they call it because the longer you do those patterns, the more progressive it gets. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. People don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is actually fascinating when I really think about that. Okay. Well, I actually have a question before I answer that question. Is, so sex, sex and love, we've talked about this, but I want your viewers to hear it. What's the difference between sex addiction versus love addiction? How I explain sex addiction is it's when you're addicted to a sexual act and love addiction is when you're addicted to a specific person or, you know, if you, you know, date multiple people or put back to back relationships, going after unavailable people, going after married yes. people. Okay. Um, Flirting, intriguing, fantasy, the white knight coming to rescue that a relationship is going to fix you. Sex addiction is when you're addicted to like porn, masturbation, of cheating, massage parlors, one night stands, all that stuff. But you can swing thing to thing. Well, I'm definitely love addict, but like, why is it under the same roof? I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah, no, let me explain. I'm so glad. I love that you're asking me my question on my own podcast. It makes <laughs> I'm like me so excited. You. I, I know, know sorry. totally. She's going into her hosting. We're like battling hosting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so here's Barbara the Walters thing. over here. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, because here's what happens you have fantasy and you you find yourself attracted to this unavailable person. You put yourself out there sexually. So it's you do sexual things when you're actually not ready to do sexual things. You perform, you become a role, you know, you put on that, that show that a lot of women do. And that's where the you're sex like addiction. Disconnected, right? You're like disconnected. Disconnect. You're not really intimate with this yeah. person. And then once you capture them, usually the sexual high goes away. Yeah, yeah. And with sex addiction, it's not even about the actual sex. It's about the buildup to that sexual experience. It's so it's the, the same feeling of like self sabotage, but for the self sabotage, it's like that feeling that high. Yes, it's all a high. It's like shooting up heroin in your arm. And yes. Yes. You know, so that's how I explain the best way I can explain it without confusing people. Okay. And let's go back to your question. Cause I, now, now that I have a clear picture, go ahead. And how did yours question. amplify? How did it progress? How did you see, how do you see that pattern in your life? So I was, as I said, I was very introverted, right? So like in the ballroom world, it's a very small world. It's a man's world. And I would be around and um, my environment was of older people. So my friends were in their thirties, boys, men and women. And I, 
and my mom was busy trying to put food on the table and worked her ass off as uh, you know so a business, my mom. new business yeah. owner right so like a lot of people may say well it's because of the way you were raised actually it was I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for my mother right so like at the end of the day yeah you can blame it all you want but when everything starts with you and I actually don't have any regrets in that sense like I think that it shaped who I am today and I was very scared to say no and I was taken advantage of because of that. So that's interesting. I just want to pause right here. That's interesting. At such a young age, you are already like denying your intuition, your voice to say yes. no. Even well, I if was you, scared. Yeah. yeah, but as women, I think that's important that you're a powerful woman in the industry right now. And people look up to you that you even denied your intuition, that voice that said, no, I don't want to do this, but you did it anyways. Because I wanted to please in a way. It was really weird. It wasn't for, I didn't love myself. I didn't love myself till just recently. And I think that until that happens, hopefully it's instilled in you when you're a teenager or a kid and you have great role models. But for instance, I got my period when I was nine years old. You know, I went through growing up and my body changing at such a young age. And mm-hmm. I just didn't fit into the my age category, not at all. And the way I danced and the way I communicated and interpreted my feelings would be through movement. And so that was just very sexual. I was always very sexual, not because of my me being sexual. Like I would be the person in standing in the corner. Like I wasn't, you know, I have social anxiety, but when I danced, it was like another person, person came, came out of me yeah. and it became very sensual and sexual. And that's why I would attract all these disgusting, but it's all these older men, you know, but and that's it's like the thing, like that is, that's where society is messed up. Like I, even had experiences as a really young girl I developed, you know, and I remember walking through the mall and this old man was like hitting on me, my father's age. And I was like, I'm 12 years old. What are you doing? And that you said that? No, in my head, but in my oh. head, of course I didn't have a voice at that young. I, I yeah. just like, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that had to be very hard that just because you were in this world and you were expressing yourself and your sexuality was coming out, people took advantage of that or made you uncomfortable or whatever, blah, 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 put something underneath that, you know? And, and, and that, but that to me, like getting that attention that equals love for me, mm-hmm. right? Because if you think back when I got sexually molested, it was, it wasn't like we had intercourse. It was very much a grooming type of molestation and over a long period or period of time. And so it was like the grooming of it brainwashed me. That's, I think that's even more scarring sometimes than the actual act. Yeah. Um, because like, I still catch myself. Like I need to understand that. Did you feel you know, like that person loved you? Like it was a, yes, like you, yes. in your mind. That's why it was the hardest. It, you manipulated mm-hmm. your own mind to think, oh, this is, this person cares about me. And by the way, that's the age to do it when you want to brainwash somebody, right? It's like at those valuable moments of your life when you're just a toddler, really, and you don't know any you don't know anything else. And that's the scariest part. And that for me is like, yes, trauma, I'm not comparing or saying one is worse than the other at the end of the day. They're they're, all bad. It's all bad. But there's something about grooming that really is so makes me sick to my stomach because it's a full on showing you as a little girl that this is what it is because you have nothing else to see. You don't have a role model as far as like your parents still being together. And then in a way, he made me feel guilty for even testifying. That was the hardest part was me testifying and looking at him, like looking straight at him and then finally 
realizing he, he's done this to so many of his nieces and nephews and it just oh. continued going, you know? And then like, even when he went to my dad's dental practice, he got out of jail when he was like in his late nineties. And he said like, I never did that to your daughter. And then this is where I became uh, where I was able to start the process of forgiveness because um, it wasn't forgiveness for him and what he did, but it's forgiveness for myself. And, but then also realizing that this man was so sick, sick, like there, he was yeah. mentally sick and like ill. And like, he should have not necessarily gone to prison. He should have gone to like a rehabilitation center or somewhere where like, yes, prison, absolutely. But like, he shouldn't have been let go, like just freely like that either, you know, but he really it's doesn't believe he did this. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing is this per, I even talked to my therapist about it. Cause I, I mean, I'll just tell this story real quick, but one day I was at a meeting for sex and love addiction and this gentleman came in and he started talking about being attracted to his daughter's friend who was like 16 years old. He said, and every woman's hand shot up in the room. And then when you raise your hand, it means stop talking. Like imagine 50 people and all the women shoot their hands oh up God. and we're like, no, stop enough. Did you? Oh yeah. I was like done. You can't talk like that in this room. And I talked to my therapist about it and I'm like, what gives somebody like, what is that? And she says, it's a sexual perversion that they want to take the purity of this young, innocent person because they think it's love and they'll never grow out of it. It's not something you can cure when someone is. I mean, it must have taken him so much to say that though. Oh, I'm sure. And I have compassion for him, but there's a time and a place to take that to not in a room full of 100%. women, you know, that are well, totally. And mind yeah. you, I, I like, I, you know this, but I, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't go to like a, or what's it called? Yes. Yes. So yeah. I love this. So, Let's just say this out loud. Yeah. You are not a 12 stepper. You got no, sober through. I, I believe in therapy. it though. I love it. Yes. And an and intense therapy that I'm still currently doing. And it's like, you know, double sessions twice a week. Not cheap, that too. Not but cheap. it's my mental health. <laughs> but hey, <laughs> but listen, health, I love when people come on and say, I didn't do the 12 step. I did the therapy. I had a good friend that was also in sex and love addicts anonymous, and it didn't work for her. She had to just do therapy. Mm. I had to do therapy in both, but I just love that. Yeah. You got sober. You've stayed sober. Now you're coming out as a love sex and love addict. And the point is you're doing the work on yourself to get, I mean, her. look, I, I'm not against the program at all. I think I'm fighting the battle that another secret I have. I'll just tell you all my dirty secrets. Why Yay. Um, I, <laughs> I have social anxiety and I just realized that after this, after, you know, things have been loosening up here, even though I still think people should stay home if you're not vaccinated, but whatever, <laughs> uh, that's all another conversation. But basically I cannot, the thought of being in public around people that I don't know frightens the crap out of me. I think it frightens a lot of people. I mean, I it frightens me too. I just got my first shot and I'm still nervous. Even when somebody comes near me and they don't have on a mask, I'm like, what? Uh, no, I know, I but like, I, but mine is just people in general. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. It's like I've always gotten this like note, especially like Leah Remini. I told you earlier, it's a good friend of mine, and she's the opposite of social anxiety. And when like I would hang out with her and like her good friend, it's like I get really weirdly introverted, and then I start to like have that mean voice in my head. So I think I just want to surpass all of that by just not going out. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. Do you think the social anxiety comes from, you know, being an addict, using a, alcohol to like, because 
all of that was easier to drink or, or flirt yeah. or whatever I mean, you did. I think it goes way past before that. So yeah. I didn't even drink till I was 21. Right. So even yeah. during that time when I would encounter, um, lots of, you know, sexual abuse really, and, uh, relationships that were very both physically and mentally abusive. I was very much an introvert. Like you should see my very first audition tape to do dancing with stars. I couldn't, my voice sounds so mousy. Like I am pretty monotone as it is now, but I couldn't put two words together in front of a camera. Like the anxiety just, you know, and also because of the ballroom world, it's a man's world. No one cared about the women's opinion about anything. So like we weren't activated as far as that part of our brain goes to think quick on our feet and to speak up for whatever you believe in. Like, I didn't even know what I believed in. Didn't know my favorite color when I moved here, you know, like actually. No, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. And then I'm I'm hitting on like, you already shy. I was shy. And being a shy person, we're usually very sensitive. And I'm an addict and you're an addict. So mm-hmm. you're already sensitive. And, you know, the low self-esteem, the fear of abandonment. But it doesn't look like that, right? No, yeah. but that's why our masks are so nice. You put on a mask. You know, it's that's what my therapist says. You have a mask on top of a mask on top of a mask. And you're so detached from your real self. And that's what like my husband and I are working on couples therapy is just the vulnerability in general. It's such a huge word, right? But like not letting, it's not necessarily ego. It's just my own insecurities of like still protecting myself Yeah. Um, and not wanting to come across weak. My wall was so thick and it's so tall and it's like, it's going to take a lot of work. And I'm, that's what we're working through. And it's so crazy to this whole time. And also because of the, you know, my the culture that I was raised in, my mother's Filipina and Filipina community, at least is like very much not to show your feelings, not to show yeah. that you're crying. Every time I would cry, I'd be like, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, like, and so it, vulnerability was not necessarily strength in it, but it takes so much strength to be vulnerable. I think it takes more strength to be vulnerable than to be like a wall. Absolutely. A wall, and now it hurts. It actually hurts me sometimes. Like my body physically hurts when I'm vulnerable, where I'm like, <laughs> you oh, know? interesting. Oh, when I have yeah. to say I'm sorry, it's like something. I know. Like, I, every part of me doesn't want to say I'm sorry, even though I need to say I, I'm sorry. No. Oh, you do that too? It's like so Oh my God. I actually like, you know, there's obviously, you know, we, I talked to you about like our dog is getting old and all of that. And like, I'm trying to be as mindful as possible to be very sensitive and towards, you know, my husband and like what he's going through. Cause he's, it's been him and his dog bear for so many years. And it's like on a normal day, just like not think about what I would say before I say it, you know, like that's yeah. just what happens when yeah. you're together for so long. And now it's so hard for me to really be like putting his, I guess, his needs and his emotions. That's a whole nother thing, man. Do you think you turned, did you do the thing with your sex and love addiction where you would say those things to like not hurt someone's feelings, but it like kept a distance between you and that person? Like you would almost self-sabotage and say that stuff. But mind you, when I was sober, I wouldn't be able to go on a date or I wouldn't be able to do a red carpet. I wouldn't be able to, the only thing I could do sober in front of people would be dancing. That's the only thing I could do. Um, But as far as 
flirting or like talking about my real feelings. Can't do it. And I wouldn't want to. Like that was the scariest thing of my life. But when I was drunk and using and all of that, I can't even imagine what I said, but it would always be the next morning. I'd be so embarrassed because like someone would say, do you know what you said to so-and-so, you know, like big, important people. people. Um, I was like, no, I don't want to know it actually. Cause it's probably really crazy, but maybe that's then a part of me is like, is that true? That saying like, a drunken man's words is the sober man's thoughts type thing. I don't know. Totally. I think it's just <laughs> exaggerated maybe. No, I think it's the truth. I think the truth comes out when you have some of that just to like let the stuff that's been building up. Yeah. It's like my alter is like an ego thing that I don't necessarily like, I don't like that person, you know, like I don't, but, and I also don't like the feeling of not remembering because I'm such a controlling, I'm also a recovering control addict, control addict. Yeah. Yep. Ding, I, ding, I, I, I am too. To control everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're I just love, the same person. I know we have like, we we love power and control over other people because inside um, I feel like, because I feel so powerless in this world that I have to like dominate other. So I feel like I'm in, like, I can't get hurt. No one can hurt me if yes. I have power and control over everything in my life. But what's so crazy is that feelings come and go. Like if we can just sit in our feelings and feel our feelings, it would just only take a few seconds or maybe a few minutes or maybe a few days. It doesn't matter, but it's so short term that the feeling, once you feel it goes away, it doesn't come back to haunt you. Instead, you know, I've been a master at just not feeling my feelings and numbing that is even worse. Like you can't compare the length of time, like it'll just consistently eat you alive. It does. That's the secret. Like holding in your feelings kills you. But as an addict, we don't want to feel anything other than elation or ecstasy. I'm not interested in feeling pain and sadness. I'm just not interested in it. And you have to get comfortable with feeling your feelings. I totally agree. What's fascinating to me is that with you, you didn't use a substance. No, I didn't use a substance at all. I just used people completely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so fascinating. Like, I think we're all addicts, but I don't want to. Well, I say we all have an ism. No, I do. I believe. I agree. I believe people will find like shopping, money, gambling, eating, not eating. Everybody has an ism that they go to to not feel controlling. Yeah, just controlling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But like, that's a heavy subject. No, we can, we could talk all day. I would literally talk to you all day, but I know you have other things to do, but I do want to hit the, you and I discussed something and I think it's really important that as coming at a sex and love addict and recovery that you've been in, you also had a problem with social media and I have had a problem with social media. So I just want to touch base on that and how you're working through that. And how it's affected you. So, I mean, some can just say it's probably because of the outside validation I've been yearning for my whole life, clearly from, you know, not having a stable family and um, growing up in the dance world. It's all about that, right? Like it's all about who wins first place through sixth place, who makes the semifinals, who makes, you know, who's top 24 in the world. It's so rank. It's like now that I've done a lot of work, I'm thinking, what is first? What is second? Like at the end of the day, what it's so unhealthy and it's It's so so toxic. And I, and I now understand the mentality of Olympians who literally work. I mean, that's basically what I was right. But in, um, in a more of an engaging way, it was us literally dry humping each other. Like that's what I did. And I went through lots of different partners, you know, some were gay, most were straight. I was in a relationship based 
basically with most. Mm-hmm. And it was um, a constant up and down roller coaster. And what was your question? <laughs> no, but the social media, it hits on that. Why did I say social valid- media? No, yes. wanting so validation. And, yeah. And being in the dance world. And when you have, yeah. you know, number one, number no, two. No, but that's why. Yeah. It's like, I would only, I'd wait for my, like my dance coach. I'll never forget. Like never do you ever say a compliment. And I think that has a lot to do with my teaching style that you see to this day on dancing on the stars. I'm hardcore, but that's all I know because that to me is love, but it's not necessarily love. It's very much, you know, that it's just that if he said something great, I couldn't take it. Right. So I can't take compliments sometimes and I'm learning how to do that. But then when you go on social media and you don't really know these people and you see comments, hundreds and hundreds of comments, all you do is focus on the negative, then that is your clue to get the hell out. Because like, I think it has nothing to do with the people. It always starts with you first, always. Yeah. And it's like, stop with the blaming, take responsibility. And so I did. And so I literally, everything you see on my platforms on my social platforms they do come from me but I do have to hire somebody to actually go on the actual platform and post it because I can get sucked in and then then what and then what it's into, it's very it's for me yeah I'll, I and I cannot I'm, I'm human you know yeah. yeah and like for for me to say oh I don't compare or I'm recovering from my addiction with social media in a way or validity is just bullshit. It's not true. That's like another thing I, you know, it's just like, if if you don't feel good when you do something, stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just want to hit on the last thing. The last little secret is now that you're using your social media for something with purpose, like you have been speaking out about what's going on. And I, that's when I switched to using it for helping people with sex and love addiction, it's helped me deal with the social media anxiety or the likes and all that. How how is now speaking out for everything that you're doing. Yeah. So basically, you know, you know, it's the Asian culture right now in general, like to say that I'm not living in fear would be a lie. You know, like the fact that I won't even walk my dog right now, because like just recently someone screamed some sort of comment at me and like, it's it honestly. And then to see, you know, the Asian community, we're not in the general, it's just the way that we were raised as well, but the stigma is changing, but it's like the, to express feelings isn't easy for us. And we also will not let it stop us from living our lives as well. So, and then to hear every day, like a vulnerable elderly, um, you know, of Asian descent woman will get knocked down just for walking to church, like a Filipina woman, 65 years old, my mother's age, just minding her own business in New York, walking to church. And this guy literally punches her and kicks her. I, and nobody does anything. And it makes me so sick to my stomach. Like I just want to pounce on him like a a cat and And, tear him. Right. And I never thought this would ever happen. And to feel like a foreigner in your own country is just, it just makes my skin crawl. And I just, every time my mom calls me, right? Like she's very vulnerable. She's blind in one eye, you know, she's 67 almost. And my stepdad is always busy working. So she runs errands and stuff. Like I just, my heart drops every time I get a phone call because I just do not and hope and pray that, you know, she hasn't been hurt and my heart just goes out to everybody. But as far as social media goes, I have to use my voice. The fact that the people I feel like there was a part of me that was like, maybe I don't need to say anything. Right. Like I just need to like, not, that's not who I'm not a political like protester. I don't do that. Right. Um, but like this really hit close to home and I feel like we are going to continue, 
um, the stigma, right? If we don't speak up. And so it all starts with you. And at the end of the day, I can't look at social media and just, you know, look, I can just state some facts. I've lost a lot of followers. I have lots of people being negative and saying, you know, certain things that I could easily clap back at. But like, this is not why I am on social right now. I'm on social to use my voice and my platforms to influence and to be a good influence and to educate. There's so many ignorant people out there right now, which is why this is happening is if we can all just educate and lead with love, then I think that is the start. It starts with you. And so I'm not going on social media as much to look at comments more than use the social platform that I have to um, into a pos- turn it into a positive by continuing to spread more information and post as much as I can. So people who do want to watch it or who are curious, but don't want to show their friends that they're curious or whatever can actually go to my social platform, you know, at Cheryl Burke on Instagram and just see what's been going on. Cause like, if you don't know what's going on, you can easily judge what we're trying to educate. But, and you're, we're all human and there's empathy yeah. and compassion and that we all have yeah. the same blood in our veins. And I love that poster that it just shows if you need an ounce of blood from the Red Cross, you don't know who it came from. So we are all the same. And I love that we are your platform. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud to know you. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud that you came out as one of my fellow sex and love addicts and you're on the other (laughs) side of it. So thank you so much for coming on. I know we went way over. (laughs) Oh my God. I could talk to you. We should do a marathon. I know. Right. We should do a 24 hour podcast. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for coming on. Um, If you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.